Welcome to the Front End Podcast. We explore the ins and outs of life as a developer. We delve into challenging topics around modern day development and technology, including learning, professional growth, programming languages, frameworks, tools, techniques, UX, UI, careers, and so much more. Joining us for uh, season two, episode two, is Pete Gallagher, another Pete. I've just realized, as I said the words, our first guest was was Peter White, and now we've got a Pete Gallagher. Maybe we should make season two the season of Pete's. I think there was a comedian, Dave Gorman, did a show where he just went around the world finding other Dave Gormans. Maybe I could do the same, just find other Pete's. Pete is a, is a developer, an MVP. That's uh, that's the, Is that the Microsoft, uh, or is that the most valued professional? It's the Microsoft thing, isn't it? That's right. That's right. Uh, a public speaker, plural site author, and owner of software consultancy PJG Creations. It also organizes Knots IoT and .NET Knots and sits on the board of LATI, a Loughborough organization serving the technical community in the Midlands. And Pete's going to talk to us about all things freelancing. I mean, straight out of the gates, that is a lot of things to be involved in. How do you find time to sort of fit breathing into that? Yeah, I just don't sleep. Uh, <laughs> it is actually i mean once you've got everything all up and running the meetups are even easier now because they're all online so it's yeah. just organizing uh speakers and making sure they turn up and to be fair that i find that quite fun so it's good do you find they're weirdly more successful the meetups and things being online i mean i know it's not quite the same as being in person but do you find there's a bit less friction because people don't have to be bothered to like get up and put clothes on and like go outside and just sort of <laughs> do it, do it from the comfort of their own bedroom kind of thing? Oh, funnily enough, it's a it's six of one and half dozen of the other. It's quite literally that because the people that either couldn't come because of family commitments or just too far to travel or, or whatever reason, they are coming. But I found a lot of the people that came sort of not the not the core of the people, but a lot of the people that just came every now and again picked and choose uh, cherry picked particular meetups, they don't tend to come oddly. And I think some of it is the fact that speakers are now speaking at so many different remote meetups and then they're recorded on YouTube that people have seen the talk. So it's yeah. it's a little bit of a funny one for speakers and uh, during the early days of .NET Knots, before I even ran it, I used to record them. And we only ever had one speaker say he didn't want his talk recording. But he made a really good point in that, you know, I do this so that I can go around and speak at meetups and get my name out there. But if it's on YouTube, then people are less inclined to have me along. Yeah, because your first instinct is to think that's a really odd thing to get a bit picky over. But I suppose when you put it like that, yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. Yeah, same <clears> for things like NDC. People yeah. are a bit worried about, you know, if they do a local meetup and then apply to NDC. Although some of the criteria for being accepted at NDC is that you've done that and that you have a recording. But, um, yeah. Now, we're going to talk about freelancing. And I don't know if this is just one of these things where there's always been an underlying trend or not. But it feels like there's been quite a big upsurge recently in kind of the interest of it. There's certainly a lot, you know, on, on the channels I'm involved with on Twitter, there's a lot of chatter about it. I mean, I was on Whiskey Wednesday. It might have been last week, might have been three months ago. <laughs> it's all blurs into one. You we just put that. whiskey in that sentence and then blurred, so... <laughs> <laughs> the, the the drunk youtube stream we did and and that was all about kind of freelancing so 
especially with the the 2020 situation people are, are thinking about doing it more whether they've been made redundant which i know a lot of the people i've come across that's been quite a big catalyst for starting their own businesses it's, it's they've been given a bit of a golden handshake given some money gone off you go we don't need you anymore and that's been a bit of a a push for them but i think a lot of people get stuck with how they go about kicking off their freelancing career and things so i mean what what's your story with it how did you get into into freelancing you mentioned there about redundancies. So I worked for a company called Thomas Automatics and they made change machines and sort of cash handling equipment. So kiosks and, uh, and things like that. But if you go in any of the arcade premises up and down the motorway and the service stations, then there's nearly always a Thomas Automatics change machine in there. It'll be a big blue and yellow or black and silver machine. And I was involved with them. And I was there straight out of university for 11 years. And I was in the position where I'd been paid an okay wage. It wasn't great. I could have got more elsewhere, but it was a couple of miles away from where I lived and it was a varied job. And I was the only dev, uh, which had its ups and its downs, as you can imagine. But when the financial crisis happened, that had a big hit on them and they made some people, not including me, thankfully, at that time, redundant. But then they never really recovered properly. And I think also the management had seen sort of the outcome coming and and they didn't put in as much effort perhaps as well as they could have done. So the the company folded, but six months before they folded, they they did make me redundant. In the previous couple of years, been doing a little bit of work on the side, creating applications, one for a, a clothing company in Leicester. And my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, her parents had a marketing agency and they were doing a lot of telephone interview stuff and I created them an application. So there was there was stuff happening. So when I got made redundant, I'd saved up enough because I'd seen the writing on the wall and I had a couple of clients and I thought, well, I'll just carry on and see where it gets to. And I've been doing it for a decade now. Oh, wow. That was going to be the next question. Is that how long have you been doing it? But a decade, that's, that's impressive. This year, in fact. <laughs> wow, that's just a <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. That's amazing. What what sort of what sort of development do you do? I mean, are you a front end, back end, any any specialisms? I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that you're more of a Microsoft guy, given all the .NET stuff and the MVP. But but yeah, what what sort of freelance developing do you get into? If they'll pay me to do it, anything. Uh, if that includes dancing in the rain outside, <laughs> I'll perhaps even do that. Although you'd you, you, go that far. <laughs> well, you know, it's always raining. It seems at the moment now. So you know, if you go outside, it's going to happen. Anything. <laughs> it's quite literally though. I mean, starting the, the change machine works all was all assembler historically. So that's where I started my my professional career was writing assembler for pick microchip Ooh. microchip pick stuff. So and I still support that. Because that company that went bust got bought by another company and they got back in touch not long after that and said, oh, we want you to carry on supporting this stuff. So I got them as a, as a third client, which was which at the time was massive for me because that was a big client for me to get. And there was a lot of work there. And I still do work for them now. But partway through that contract, we created a kiosk. And during my time at the Change Machine Company, I was doing VB6. I looked at C++ but, oh, geez, They're trying to do anything GUI-wise for C++ was just abysmal, and VB6 just made everything easy. So, I mean, I'm old enough to do that. I mean, obviously, I grew up with a Spectrum in the house, so I knew BASIC. And to be able to make some desktop applications in BASIC was great. Oh, cool. I'll do that. And then I moved to .NET when that came out in 2001 or whatever and stayed with VB because I'd built a library of stuff, and, you know, I wasn't going to then suddenly switch to the first version of C-sharp. So I still do quite a lot of VB stuff for the change machine company and the clothing company, actually. But 
I also work for a couple of design agencies and they do a lot of stuff in WordPress. So there I'm doing PHP and, and JavaScript and obviously HTML and CSS. On That's, top of that. Got a good mix. Assembler. If anyone's listening, especially if you're like more of the junior end, you're not quite sure what Assembler is. If you complain about things like JavaScript and React, they're like fully fledged English. Basically, you get almost near near perfect sentences. Assembler language is basically the grunts and shrugs that the machine does to the CPU. It looks it looks horrendous from this from the outside. It's uh, it's not it's not something you just go ah oh, fancy learning uh, fancy learning a bit of assembler. I like what, looking at you know when you watch the Matrix, uh, it's like yeah. that in a way. You know you kind of have to get into the right frame of mind. And luckily, I mean, I've had spent. 10 years doing it so it doesn't take me long to flick back into that but oh yeah you lose there's no such thing as intellisense <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's pun i bet it's punishing with the uh, there's no like cushy error messages saying it's this line here you've messed it up it just it doesn't work i mean luckily the, the microchip pick stuff comes with or oh, to a degree in circuit emulators ices uh, so you plug them in and you can step through your code and, and view all the registers and it gives you a very nice experience even back then you're talking 10 years ago or more in fact you know, 20 years ago we had quite good tooling uh, and that was invaluable because yeah trying to debug assembler is is painful people have a similar struggle with slightly higher level languages like c plus where they've got to you've got to manage memory and things as well so we don't know how, we, how good we have it in the in this react and view world where it's like oh it's so difficult it's like you don't have to worry about any of this it's like, <laughs> you have another class in there it's fine no one cares where they've got to you know it was, it's a bit like when i got into it it was all kind of the the 486 dos levels and you know it was kind of you couldn't run that game if you didn't have you know 42 kilobytes of memory and you had to run sort of memwin and try and just free up an extra one kilobyte just to get it simon sorcerer to run i've seen some interesting things on your twitter feed about like actual physical things that you can like pork with the the breadboards and the wiring and things but what uh, it seems like you do a lot of stuff with the internet things what what sort of stuff do you get involved with in that side of things yeah i mean essentially uh, my first uh foray into that again i mean a lot of my experience comes from that change machine company that was like half of my professional life working for them so I'm going to refer back to them, but uh, one of the projects we worked on was uh, a Royal Mail stamp vending machine, and they they had modems inside them, and you could dial in. So they were hardwired to a telephone line, but you could dial in, and you could pull out audit reports and, and usage statistics and stuff directly from the machine. And that was, I don't know, 1999 when we were doing wow. that, so before what would be the modern IoT world existed, um, we were... We were playing with that i didn't write the original software but i supported it and and worked with it then going forwards in various different guises and on various different machines in a similar way so yeah it started there but i mean this this stuff i'm working on just today is a a company and it's all under nda so i can't tell you a massive amount but they're looking at how buildings warm up and cool down they're sort of scattering sensors around and i'm i'm using the pi as a gateway and and sending that up to the Azure services that I need and, and processing them up there. It's such a cool little bit of kit, that that Raspberry Pi. It sort of appeared seemingly out of nowhere, and it's like this little thing that's barely bigger than like a, a child's hand. <laughs> it's like, but this, the flexibility of it. I mean, we had, I think we've got two. We have one running a, a Pi hole, like ad blocker <laughs> thing, and then we have one running retro Pi we've put on it, so it's got uh, like yeah. hundreds of the old games, you know? <laughs> such a flexible little bit of kit. I think I've got four or five running around. I've got one as a file server and file downloader. Nice. So that sits there. And it, it, I've got sort of like 11 terabytes of storage sitting just off that. Uh, and then a yeah, retro pie and a Kodi box. And I've not done a pie hole, weirdly. I, I've not 
really felt the need. And actually, when I've thought about it, I thought it could cause more problems than it was worth. But I think that's just me not knowing enough about how it works. And certainly, if you if you look at uh, Troy Hunt, then he uses it. So you know, must be all right. <laughs> yeah, we kind of we change network, and it, it it's such a faff to kind of change it because you need to be on the same network to get into it. And I kind of killed that before I realised that that's what I had to do. So we ended up using one. Uh, I think it's called AdGuard, but it's like a set of DNS servers which does the same thing, but without actually having to uh, get into Linux and, and fart about with it. I think it, it worried me just that obviously being a, if I wasn't a developer, then I probably would be less bothered. But as a developer, if something doesn't work, I don't want to have to be thinking: is it pie hole that's causing that? Because it's just an extra variable. It's probably just me being super, super scared. <laughs> well, you've got to defend yourself against these things. Because I mean, we have enough to deal with with family relatives coming along, going, "Can you fix this?" So, <laughs> oh no, this, this oh. computer's broken. Can you have a look at this. That's not what I do. <laughs> Every other one of my clients do that. They ring me up and say, "You know, can you just give me five minutes and just help me with this?" And of course, no charge. Yeah, and yeah, that will start stacking up. <laughs> Oh, we'll cover that sort of stuff in the, uh, in the freelancing bit. How to find stuff that's outside of your your core offerings. Um, yeah. But I also see you're a Pluralsight author. Now, I've used Pluralsight loads in the past. It's a great resource. What sort of things have you authored on there? <laughs> Nothing. Not Nothing. yet. Uh, uh, okay, really, I mean, I, I got my, my audition and interview, if you will, through uh, Stephen Haunts, who very kindly hooked me up. I was supposed to be going to Pluralsight Live this year. In fact, I was supposed to be going to MVP Summit. This is my first year being an MVP. Second now, if you include the fact that this is the second part of my 2021. And so this would have been my first summit over in Seattle. And, of course, COVID struck uh, and wrote that off. And the week after MVP Summit was supposed to be the Pluralsight Summit down in London, and of course, that got cancelled as well. And, and I'd arranged to meet the the sort of author reps that, that go to that to talk about joining. And so we moved all that online, and I did my audition, and it was all all great and passed uh, first time, which was nice. So apparently, it's quite hard. I mean, I didn't find it hard at all. But then I've been making videos and presenting for a while now, so I don't know if that helps. Yeah. But, I mean, that aside, one of the reasons why they were interested in me specifically was for the IoT side of things, because there was a few IoT things you had lined up. But when COVID struck, that put that all on the back burner. And that really is my, my speciality is the IoT stuff. That's the stuff that they don't have much of as well. There are a few on there, but they needed some more IoT resource for some new projects that were coming out. And yeah, uh, sadly, they said, yeah, you've passed, you've got an audition, keep an eye on the upcoming courses that you can author. Is that is that something you would kind of recommend people to go down the avenue of kind of content creation? Is it, I don't know, like a side, a side to the freelancing or this kind of different revenue stream alongside that? Yeah, I mean, not even for the revenue or not directly. I do it for the same reason that I do talks and the same reason I write blogs in that, well, primarily so that I can remember next time how to do it uh, because it really sort of reinforces the learning that you do when you're making something. And often the reason for for carrying on and making it then is that that information or at least the way that, that you understand it isn't out there in a way that you've had to understand it. So you kind of want to democratize that information a little bit too. But, I mean, off the back of that, there's so many other good reasons for doing it. One is, you know, if you want to speak at places like NDC, then you need to have content out there for them to be able to refer to. Um, if you want to be an MVP, um, then that sort of stuff is, you know, speaking blogs and and videos are are really good ways to, to, to help that, that cause, if you will. But, obviously, 
you know, when clients come to you, then they've got a, a resource they can look at to say, oh, this guy looks like he knows what he's talking about. So it adds a little bit of reputability to you if you're doing that. Um, and you're keeping your knowledge up to date. So, you know, teaching yourself stuff as a freelancer, you're not going to get paid to do that. No one's paying you to do that. And you can't yeah. charge your customers for it. Really, you should have that knowledge up front to at least preload some of it so you know where the gaps in your learning are. So. Yeah, that's that's primarily why I do it. I mean, I get a lot of satisfaction out of helping people, but yeah, I think that's that is two of the most powerful reasons, kind of reinforcing your own learning and helping other people learn because everyone does have a different perspective. You know, thousands of people have written about React, but I still write stuff because they might not write it in a way that other people understand it the way I do. So you know, it, it's yeah, it's great for that. I used to put Google AdWords actually on my site for that reason, and I used to make a reasonable amount of money and used to be able to put that into youtube as well and there was a couple of videos that were quite popular that weren't programming actually formula one things that i put on there that i got a fair amount of money from now what sort of advice would you give to people starting out or considering life as a, a bit of a free agent a bit of a maverick yeah we touched on that before i think getting your head into the fact that you need to learn more certainly it depends on how specialized you want to be but uh I don't think you'll find very many highly specialised freelancers because it, it almost sounds a, a little bit like that can't happen. Um, I think if you're going to be a consultant, I think that's slightly different, isn't it? If you're going to go in and do a specific job for companies, then I think you can specialise a bit more. But if you're going to freelance, then I think you've got to be able to sort of just take the opportunities when they arise. So broadening your experience, I think... Uh, I was listening to Silicon Orchid and Layla on Twitch earlier, and they were talking about people who are, are sort of happy in the job and the nine to five it, and they know what they know and they're happy with that. And I'm not sure if you've got that attitude or if that's you know, your, your standard attitude that it's going to work very well for for freelancing, um, because I think it just takes a little bit more entrepreneurialism, if you will, slightly different attitudes. I think as programmers, generally anyway, we, we like to learn. So yeah. I think most programmers are well suited for, for freelancing anyway. It's, there's not many programmers out there that want to do that, you know, nine to five and not learn anything. Um, most will go to meetups or read blogs or listen to, to podcasts and stuff like that anyway. So I think we're well suited as, as that sort of people to, to go and do that. But you've got to you've got to find time to do it. And although I said earlier that your clients don't pay for your learning, they really do because there's very rarely anything you do in, in any work that you don't have to learn something for. But you've got to build that in to whatever it is that you're quoting or estimating or anything that there's going to be things that you can't sort of figure out. And it's possible that you'll lose your support network in there as well. Certainly if you're a junior dev and you, you rely heavily perhaps on code reviews and pair programming and stuff like that, you might not have that anymore. So, yeah, a complete change of mentality is is possibly what you'll look forward to when, when this happens, but there's so many upsides. But yeah, I think one of the things I learned is don't ever do quotes. <laughs> 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 Always give estimations because people take quotes at that value as they are and yeah. they never happen that way. And, and normally if you're working for an organisation, you don't have to get involved in that side of things. And if things spiral out of control, then somebody else's problem but when it's on you and they're, they're your clients coming to you and telling you that, no, you, this is how much you told me. I don't care if it's going to take you twice as long. Yeah, you've got to be careful. 
it's one of the things uh, that was raised on the Whiskey Wednesday. Actually, we, we talked a lot about kind of pricing and how people do it. And I think, you know, some people start off with the kind of just it's this per hour and then off you go. And yeah, one of the things that came up was that kind of estimating and how you do it. And if if you can give like a fixed scope because it's it's easier to do that, then great. But if it needs a bit more depth, then there should be some kind of almost like pre-project discovery phase that you kind of charge for to kind of almost find out what you need to do. And then it's easier to estimate into because then, like you said, yeah, you do end up in that, oh, it'll take three weeks, uh, this much, and uh, done. And he's like, software development isn't isn't like that. You know, I mean, we, we struggle in just day-to-day, nine-to-five, just how long is this going to take? Oh, it'll be half an hour job, and then it's like three days later. Why isn't it working? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've learned the hard way, and most people have. But, I mean, I've, I've worked Christmas Day and my birthday before, because of that problem and relationships have soured thankfully not with the end client but I've had a relationship sour with a sort of somebody who was working on the project with me in a different role entirely towards the end of our relationship he came to me and went software doesn't have bugs none of my stuff that I do in excel has bugs I don't understand and then about a month later he came back to me and he says oh I've just explained to the you know, the, the end client about you know how software does have bugs and you look at your iphone and the number of updates you get and i was like oh geez <laughs> <laughs> i think uh, having a contract is important of some yeah. sort if you are worried if there's a lot of money involved and, and this particular project did have a lot of money involved and i didn't have a, a contract because it was a friend and i think it's very easy to start your freelancing career working for friends and it can get awkward, certainly. I mean, if you're talking about small amounts of money and you're not relying on it, then that's fine. But if you're talking about, you know, this was into the tens of thousands of pounds in the end and they were holding out because of this guy. I made mistakes. I you know, hold my hands up because I was inexperienced and I did things wrong in not not sort of making it clear what was involved. But to be fair, his remit was they need it, just go ahead and do it. And he went away to, to America for a couple of weeks and then came back and wondered why it was so much. But, you know, that's what you learn as you go along, I guess. But if you've got a contract, at least, that says what you will do, and your discovery phase is a really good one, to say if, if the project is really complicated and you know it's going to take a long time to even work out what's involved to then quote because they're not giving you a, a tied-down spec, then you can include that and just make sure that they're aware. But I think you'll find that the more upfront you can be with people from the get-go, then the better because either they'll go sorry that's just going to be either not the way we work or um we can't afford that and both of those are well you know you've got to take your decisions but maybe on the we can't afford that you can you can change your prices a little bit if you're desperate for the work but on the we don't work that way or we don't accept that then you've got to take that as a smell at that point and save yourself a lot of potential bother and become a little bit Deanna Troy from, from Star Trek and, and read the situation and get good at how people react to the way that you work because the more you get the experience, the more you'll sort of pick up on. I, I don't think people talk about that balance enough when it comes to to kind of freelancing and what you said to start with about, you know, taking the opportunities and, and having a, a slightly broader range of skills. I think, you know, the page one out of the 101 book of kind of freelancing or business is like, doubling down on get a usp you've got to be absolutely 100 percent unique to anyone else out there and you've got a niche you know right down to the sort of brass tacks in a thing and i think then people you know you risk missing out on opportunities that will come along and also it's 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 relatively naive it's good to be like right I'm, I'm going to handle wordpress projects and yeah you can make a living out of just doing wordpress things but you can't just be 
oh, it's, it's this type of WordPress because people will come to you with all sorts of stuff. I mean, when we used to um, build cl- a very marketing-led WordPress things, you know, you'd have clients come along and go, oh, I've got these three domains on these three different providers and I've got this bizarre kind of VPN for some reason that's kind of over here, <laughs> costing me 300 quid a month with like a tiny site on it. But then I've also got 400 <laughs> plugins over here and it talks to this e-commerce thing and another, uh, just the way things are, there's a lot of services out there. And I think that to be so kind of niche, it's almost like walling yourself off. You need to be, you know have that balance are you going to miss out on opportunities that do come along yeah and that's definitely you've got to be able to reinvent yourself and you've got to be able to do it ahead of time as well actually i mean the iot stuff once i left thomas automatics i didn't do very much iot in any sense no because that was that was sort of hardware was where i started so designing the electronics and then assembly level stuff i, I class as hardware i mean you can't get much closer to the metal but after that then i was dealing with with front end and well i mean database-driven applications, desktop applications primarily, and then WordPress. So I kind of didn't do any for, for a while. And it I think you mentioned it, when the Raspberry Pi came out, it really piqued my interest again because obviously I'd gone from Assembler and I didn't have anything that was IoT that was high-level language-based. So then that sort of flicked a switch in, in my head and I bought one of the first ones that came out and started playing with it. And the community around it is awesome. And so, yeah, but... I didn't have any IoT work until you know a few years after that. A few years after that, I was just relying on the other other languages. But I think doing doing something you love really helps, and doing something you don't love is going to make your life hell. You, you're right. You know, it's it doesn't mean you've got to sort of haul yourself out for these. You know, this race to the bottom thing people do, where they're like, I can do it cheapest because mm-hmm. it's just it's any old work. But yeah, you you know, if you sometimes can't be quite as choosy as you might want to be. You you touched on on some things with kind of around maybe working practices and contracts and things. But in a similar vein to some good things to look out for, what are some common gotchas or red flags? Certainly from from like your own experience that people should watch out for when they're when they're freelancing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mentioned the one about a contract and yeah. being upfront and, and working for friends. I think they're, they're the gotchas because it's that's most likely you will be doing your first work for somebody you know, either, you know, the company you've just left or somebody leaves that company and sets up on their own or joins another company and they ring you. So that's important. One of the other things is, is that try not to annoy anybody. Because it might be that that person works for that company today and you're not bothered about doing any more work for them. But if they leave and go to another company, you know, it might be they're working for Joe Blogs now, but they go and work at Pinterest. You don't want to blow Pinterest out entirely because somebody you annoyed at Joe Blogs has gone there, which is possible, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, obviously, it works the flip side. You know, if, if, you, if you make a really good connection, and I've done that multiple times, then if they leave, and they often do, and they go and work at other companies, then your network automatically grows and... Yeah, then, then that's one really good thing. I mean, on a personal level, balance is, is relatively important, although I cannot preach about balance. My my work-life balance is terrible. <laughs> and I've got a wife and two kids, and I don't see them nearly enough. And I, I, you know, I, I do regret some of the stuff that I do, because as you said right at the very start, I do quite a lot of different stuff. But I do try not to work at the weekend, if I could possibly help it. Not only just because I can spend time with the family and not only because my family don't then tell me off if I am working at the weekend, but, you know, <laughs> I like sport as well. So I like to be able to watch some of that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, 
try and balance it. No, it's a it, it's an important thing. I I have that sometimes. Well, I mean, I I work slightly longer hours. I I kind of do a tiny bit of freelancing on the side here and there just to keep my hand in. But I, I have like a normal like a quote unquote proper job. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, all I'm here is that going, yeah, freelancing days, but I don't do it. But it's, but it's just the way life stays, you know. But yeah, I, I try to, you know, dedicate more more time to to the to the little one, especially while she's well, while she's kind of little. When she's kind of twelve and kind of doesn't want to see the sight of me, then it's got all the time in the world back. But yeah, work life balance is it's something that I think people as well they're naive to they think oh if i'm in charge i'll have something i can pick and choose what i do and they see books like you know the three hour work week and it's like yeah it doesn't i don't know that guy's done really well but i think that's maybe because he wrote a book about how how to do less work but it doesn't really work out like that for for a lot of people I mean, there's there's cash implications you've got to talk about as well. And yeah. one of the things I read right back in the early days of when I was doing this was try and work out the value of your own time. And that value will change depending on what it is that you're doing. You know, if, if somebody comes to you with a job, then you, you have a genuine interest in it and you're going to find it really interesting and you're going to learn a lot and it's going to be fun and the client's good, which is going to be really important. Then you can actually get away with charging less for that. But if you know that it's going to be a, bitch of a job and the client's not very good then just charge more um and that'll make you feel better <laughs> yeah and it sounds it sounds really mercenary but it's like you i think people underestimate how much time gets sucked out of you by things like difficult client because the work is harder to maybe fathom and get through if they're more demanding you know you only have to spend time spending six ten minute emails that's an hour of your time gone and if you have to keep writing these little bitty things back to sort of say some clients who are, who are like constantly needing updates and things like this that is more of your time gone and it sounds awfully kind of very capitalist and very mercenary to go out and charge more but it's like if it's justified with things like that then you've kind of got to or you're doing yourself out of out of a living really yeah and I, I think on that point of charging i think it's important to know that you don't have to charge the same amount to everybody or no. the same amount for every job as well even with the same, the same client they could come to you and say we've got you know this bit of work can you do it? How much is it going to cost? You need to look at it and decide how complicated it's going to be and how much you need to learn is often the thing. But, it, it, you know, there's a completely different scope of work. If somebody says, we want you to write an entire CRM to we want you to, you know, input some data for a week, it might take the same length of time. You can happily charge something charge less for something menial, so long as, and it's quite important then to make sure that you're not putting off better paid work to do poorly paid work. Um, so it's a balancing act to do there as well. Absolutely. It's a nice problem to have though, because that means you've got enough work. <laughs> that, yeah, that is, an, that is one of those. Never complain about the too much work because there'll be times when it's less. Is there, we're almost at time. Is there anything else you want to, is there anything you want to plug, anything you want to talk about uh, before we wrap it up? Yeah, I mean, obviously, plug Knots IoT. If you're interested in IoT, then we, we have a monthly meetup. We've got one a week tomorrow, in fact. Talks on smart bins and uh, a guy doing Tesla coils, which we booked these two talks for the physical meetups and then COVID. So I'm really gutted specifically about the Tesla coils because this yeah. guy goes to EMF camp and stuff like that and demonstrates this stuff, high electricity, high voltage stuff in in person and it's awesome to see so it's just recorded a video and taking questions which is going to be great but not quite the same so that's good if you're into .net then we do .net knots and we've got the end of the month uh, last monday of the month we've got that coming up as well so yeah definitely do that and i'm also a member of the agile engineering podcast 
there's a few of us that record that. Uh, but I think there's four episodes out there at the moment. Right. We've just done a bit about the Agile Manifesto and we're going to do about the principles that we're going to record that next week. So do go and check those things out. And obviously, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I guess you've got show notes for this, so you'll put my social stuff in there anyway. So I do. Yes. I will. If you send me um, any links that I may not have, because there's quite a few on Pete's Twitter profile, which is at Pete underscore codes. If you want to yep. find him there, any of the other bits and bobs, if you wing me some links over, I will shove them all in the show notes. But Pete does have a lot of the other Twitter links to things which were linked to the website, <laughs> if you go on his website, uh, on his Twitter profile. So that is that is fantastic. Certainly go and check out his podcast. I'll go and listen to it. Love a bit of Agile. It's it's just a, it's just a once you've once you've done anything that isn't agile, agile just is a lot better when it's done well. You know, it's implemented a bit too zealously, zealously, a bit too possibly, possibly by some people. Uh, they get a bit overzealous with it, but but yeah, I'm not even the expert in that room either. I'm I, I'm sort of the guy asking all the questions about uh, why a lot of the time. Because just I don't have time to be as agile as I'd like to be. <laughs> well, if you ever need a guest, I can come on and whinge about the bad bit of agile. Yes, yeah, we do want guests. Brilliant, yeah, love it. Invite me along. Um, thank you very much for coming for coming along and giving your time up. Uh, I say go and follow Pete. Uh, you'll find him at Pete underscore Codes on Twitter. If you've got any other questions, you can use the. If you're listening to this via Anchor, you can drop us kind of little questions, and I can answer them in some freelancing things and put it on the website. Follow Pete. Give me a follow. You know, share the podcast if you found that it's it's helpful. And yeah, thank you very much for coming on, Pete. Thank you for having me. So that's it for another great episode. Do consider subscribing if you like what you hear. Give us a like or a share on social media. Speaking of which, if you want to follow the show, we're available on Twitter at Front End Podcast. You can follow me, Rob Kendall, on Twitter too, at Kendall Mint Code. If you'd like to find out more about the show, sponsor an episode, or be a guest, you can find out more on our dedicated website, thefrontendpodcast.site. Music.